Well, thank you once again. And uh, this evening we're going to uh, look at our, the subject of the presence of God with us. Okay, so in John's Gospel and chapter 13, I'm going to uh, just read one verse from John 13 and then go straight into John 14. Okay, so just uh, jump with me. Uh, uh, be on the lookout for that. Just one verse in John 13 and then jumping into John 14, which I think is the correct way for us to understand, as I'll be saying as we go through. Okay, John 13, 33. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? And yet you've not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, Believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these he'll do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, You'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will see me no longer. But you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you for these sublime words. We're staggered and amazed that you invite us into this kind of intimacy of relationship with you. And Father, we ask you tonight, in the name of Jesus, because you've interrupted our stupid lives 
and called us into yourself and into your kingdom, into your purpose, into your great plan. You've given us significance, destiny. Lord, you've been incredibly kind to us. And Father, we're so grateful. So we pray, Lord, don't let us waste this hour. Please come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please shape our thinking, shape our expectation, shape our experience of you because your word comes to us doing us good. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Please come now and be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As Christians, we make a, a, a unique claim, really. We, we claim the presence of God. We believe God is with us. We delight in that reality that the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is actually present in our lives, in our gathering. He's with us. That's something that is unique to the Christian. No other religion makes such a claim. We believe God is with us. Of course, that root goes back into our Jewish roots where God manifested his presence so that, for instance, uh, God came to Moses one day. He's looking after a few sheep and he sees a bush that is burning. And instead of burning out, instead of going up in flames and smoke, it continues to burn and glow and there's a holy glory about it. Uh, And he goes to investigate the glory uh, that's manifest in this bush. As he gets close, he hears the voice of God calling him by name, uh, take off your sandals, show some reverence. This is holy ground. God is here. God is here. God's speaking. And, and suddenly Moses has this huge privilege of encountering God. And, and, and it's ushered into a new lifestyle really because God says to him, go down to Egypt and bring my people. And uh, uh, Moses goes down to Egypt and he brings out some 2 million people, 600,000 men, women, children, some 2 million people come out of Egypt, come with him. And if a, Moses, if, a, if a bush burned for Moses for 2 million people, the whole mountain burns with flames and smoke and fire and thunder and lightning and a trumpet that grew louder and louder. And 2 million people heard the voice of God. Imagine that, two million people standing in the wilderness and the creator of the universe speaks. They hear the voice of God. It's phenomenal, awesome, amazing. In fact, they say to Moses, you go up and speak to him. They're terrified. God is speaking. And God comes into an agreement, an arrangement with them, a covenant. He said, you're my people, I'm your God. And he, he, he comes into covenant relationship and, and promises to go with them. And from that time on, uh, he goes with them in a pillar of glory. There's this glory cloud. And, uh, and here's a people unique on the earth. This isn't happening anywhere else. It's not happening in Mexico or Russia or Australia. God's doing this to people. No, this just this people. This unique nation in the whole world that has the living God traveling with them. That's their experience. And he's on the move by night, by day. There's this cloudy pillar that's going before them. Uh, and that's their high, high privilege. Of course, there was a time when, through their backsliding, God threatened to withdraw. He said, I'm not going with you anymore. 
And Moses, that great man of prayer, won't take no for an answer, really. He goes back to God. He says, no, no, no. You've got to come with us. You've got to come with us. Then he says this. This is what makes your people distinct, that your presence goes with us. That's who we are. We're a people who have the presence of God with us. If we're not that, what are we? And he fights and argues with God. No, you must go with us. We're not not going if you don't come with us. And God hears this tremendous prayer and says, okay, I'll go with you. I'll continue with you. I'll continue to manifest my presence with you. I will travel with you. And not only travel with them, they were living in tents. And God says, I want my tent. And uh, he gives them instructions how to make a tent for him. And we read about it in several places. But say, Exodus 40, he says, it says there that, that thus Moses finished the work for the tent. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This amazing experience, this particular tent that God came on and clothed it with glory so that Moses couldn't even initially enter it. And then if you read the story, it says from day by day, Moses would walk through the camp and, and the children of Israel would stand at their tents. Moses would walk through the camp and go to the tent of meeting. And he would go into the tent of meeting and meet with God and come out with his face glowing with glory. And God was traveling with them. God was with them. This was their privilege. This is the, actually the background, I'm sure, of how our uh, gospel starts. The gospel I just read to you, John's gospel. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and we beheld his glory. It's interesting that when John wrote that, I'm sure that background of this Exodus story would have been in his mind. Because the word he actually uses is tabernacled. He says, the word became flesh and tabernacled. It's translated in our Bibles, dwelt, but that's the actual word. He tabernacled. In the Old Testament, it would have been a tent uh, made of skins of animals sewn together. And God dwelt in that tent. His glory was on that tent. Now in the New Testament, the word became flesh, a human being. And God's glory dwelt, tabernacled amongst us in a human being. And God was manifesting himself in a remarkable, amazing way. God with us. D.A. Carson says, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. He was among us. And we beheld his glory. Like in the Old Testament, they saw his glory. Now they see the glory of God in a new kind of way. In fact, the first manifestation of his glory was at the wedding of Cana, where he performed a breathtaking sign, turning water into wine and transforming a place of chaos and and, and shame when these people were going to be in shame that they ran out of supply. This is a ruined, disastrous wedding. No, no, God comes in, takes over, manifests his glory, not in a temple but in a party. 
Not in a religious setting, but at a wedding. And, and, and he dwelt among us. He came among us. He came to, into our lives. Came into, the, into a wedding of a, a young couple whose lives were before them. And they were going to have a shameful experience. We ran out of wine. Useless wedding. No, no, he comes in. Changes everything. Manifests his glory. And here's a human being rubbing shoulders with other human beings. And the disciples could say, no, no, he's with us. He manifested his glory. John writes later on, the life was manifested. And we handled and touched the word of life. This human being, which was God in the flesh. He says, we, we touched him, we leaned on him. I wonder if his hand trembled as he wrote this. I leaned on God. He was amongst us. God was amongst us. No longer in a pillar of glory, but in a human being. This is a more wonderful revelation. This is a phenomenal demonstration of God. You get similar words in Hebrews and chapter 1, where it says God has spoken to us in the past in many various ways, through prophets and so on. In these last days, he has spoken to us in a son. You could say he's spoken to us in son. I've recently been preaching in Poland. I, I would preach in English, and the people look on as my mouth goes to and fro. And then someone else gets up and interprets it and speaks in Polish. God spoke to us in son. He spoke to us in a language we could understand. He came right down to where we are. Oh, I see. Oh, I understand. Oh, that's what he... So he's come right down to where we are. He's spoken to us in a, a form that we can understand. In last, these last, this, this final revelation doesn't mean recently. It means finally. At last, God has spoken to us in this unique way. And it says this about him. He is the radiance of his glory. He's the radiance. What does that mean? It means, it means you know, actually I've noticed Canada is a bit like England, at least has been the last few days. <laughs> I've not seen a lot of sunshine and uh, makes us Brits feel at home, thank you. And, uh, you know, but what you do see, the Bible says this, no man has seen God at any time. This one who was in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. It's like you can't look at the sun. It would blind you. But what we can see is radiant sunbeams. Sometimes you see that, don't you? You see a break in the cloud, and you see this beam of light. This shaft of light comes down. You think, wow, look at that. What is that? Well, it's the radiance of the sun. It's not other than the sun. It's, it's the sun coming. It's sunshine. And Jesus is the radiance of the Father. He's God coming to us where we are. That's what it says here. He's the radiance. He's the outshining of God. And these people lived around this radiant God who was among them. This breathtaking experience. God came right into their lives, right into their homes, right into their experience of life. Radiantly, he came. And also it says this, he is the exact representation of his nature. The exact image, you could say. Jesus is the exact image. The word that's used here is similar to the word that's used when Jesus was asked, do we pay taxes? And he said, show me a coin. And they gave him a coin. He said, whose image is that? 
And the answer was, it's Caesar's. What does that mean? It means, well, there was this created stamp, and then there's this molten metal, and what was exactly in the stamp is exactly in the molten metal. That is the exact image. It's the exact image. It's the exact image. We have a God, and he's exactly like Jesus. So you might say, well, there's all these reasons for, you know, the ontological reason, the cosmological reason. Is there a God, this design? What's he like then? Well, we know exactly what he's like. You have a God, he's exactly like Jesus. Totally consistent. There's nothing in Jesus that isn't in God. He's the exact representation. We, God has spoken in a, a way that is breathtaking. It's not a cloud. And I think, well, the cloud's wonderful. Look at them. Ooh, what a cloud. No, this is a man, and he's exactly like the Father, and he's speaking to us in language we can understand. God's come right down into our lives. The wonder of it. This, and so we know, we know, we know for instance, you know, what, what, what was God's attitude to children? Well, we know the disciples' attitude to children. Get those kids out of here. Now, Jesus said, bring them to me. We see, what's, what's, what's God's attitude to broken sinners? We see Jesus. We see what he's like. We see him going out to blind Bartimaeus. We see him going out to Zacchaeus, who's enslaved to money. He goes out to him. I want to come to your home. A woman caught in the act of adultery is thrown at his feet. What does Jesus say? I don't condemn you, not because he's careless, but because he's going to take the condemnation. Now go and don't sin anymore. We just, we just, we're looking, we're seeing God. It's a, this is the revelation of God. We know Jesus could say to Philip, when Philip says, show us the Father, he says, Philip, how long have I going to be with you? He that has seen me has seen the Father. I'm a perfect display of the Father. So here we see these disciples enjoying the wonder of God with us. And that was promised in the Old Testament. He would come, the blind would see, the lame would dance. It's all back there in Isaiah. It's going to happen. And now it's happened. God has come amongst his people, manifesting his glory. The life was manifest. What we have heard, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have handled, we tell you about. We were with God. God was with us. Imagine what it was like. Imagine what it was like for the disciples. I mean, Peter, James, John, these other guys, fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies really, from the north, from Galilee, not even from the big city. They're nobodies. And Jesus has come with me. And they, and they come with him, and, and, and they, they live with him. And you can imagine Peter waking up in the morning and saying, what's going to happen today? You know, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there. Oh, he's praying. It won't be long, I guess. Here he comes. What's today, Lord? And then saying to the guys, what a week. Last week. Wow, when he stopped that funeral. When he said to that boy, get up. Wow, did you see that? I mean, and then when he, when he, he went to those leprous people, and everybody was saying, ooh, leprous. And Jesus walked right up to them. Put his hand, touch them. Wow, did you see that? I wonder what today's going to be. I mean, it's so exciting. Imagine when, when they went up the mountain. It says, it says he went up a mountain and 5,000 people followed him. Now, if you look again, it says 5,000 men, if you look carefully, plus women and children. 
Don Carson says probably 20,000 people. That's his record. 5,000 men, wives, children, 20,000 people. So 20,000 people follow Jesus as he goes up a mountain. And then it says this. He taught them many things and he healed their sick. And then they slept up there. And on the next day, he teaches them some more. And he heals them some more. And then they sleep up there again. And then on the third day, it says this, he healed them all. 20,000 people in what we would call a third world situation, and everyone is healed. There's not a sick person left. And they're with him for three days. He's teaching them. And these disciples, they're just hearing sublime wisdom, love, authority, answers to all their deepest problems, hope. I mean, just awesome with him every day. And then he says this, they say, they say, Jesus, these people have been with us three days. They'll be getting hungry. You should send them away. And Jesus says, uh, no, you feed them. Uh, uh, what? No, you feed them. What you got? Well, we've got some loaves, a few fishes. Bring them to me. Blesses them. Breaks it. Give. Well, you feed them. There's thousands of them. No, you feed them. Imagine Simon Peter. Think, oh, okay. Um, so sort of, bit for you, bit for you, then you think, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hey, do you want some, do you want some, do you want some, I mean, what a life, what a life they came into, what a life they came into, this is impossible, I'm doing it, I'm with Jesus, he's with me, I'm feeding people, I'm feeding people. Even walking on water, Jesus comes on a stormy sea, a stormy lake. And, and Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. See, he's not stupid. He doesn't say, oh, it's the Lord, just jump in. No, no, if it's you, tell me. He under, began to understand. When he speaks, there's power. When he says, I can do it. If it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Man, here I go. And over, he walks right out to where Jesus is. He's just a hand's, like, hands distance away. You know he begins to look at the winds. We know about that. But he, he's, he, he lives in a life. You, hey, this is a world you could never imagine. This is a guy living with God and having his life lifted above all the restrictions. Now, I, I can break bread and give it to people. I can walk in ways I would never have thought possible. I can walk in a new dimension because Jesus is there. And man, this is wonderful. This is, I'm living with God and God's living with me. This is their experience. Then comes the verse I first read to you. Little children, talking to the disciples, of course. Little children, I'm with you a little longer. You'll seek me and you won't be able to find me. Now, I've read that verse, I guess, hundreds if not thousands of times through my Christian experience. But more recently, I suddenly thought, I thought God said to me, read it like Peter heard it. You see, somehow it's gone over my head before, because somehow when I became a Christian, I heard someone say to me, he'll never leave you. And I took that on board. 
he's come to be with us. He'll, he's, he's for us, he's with us, he's not going to f- depart. He's with us. But for Simon Peter, who's living this breathtaking life of living with God, suddenly hears this word, uh, I'm not going to be with you much longer. You're what? Just try with me then, please, just to get you put your feet in his shoes, his sandals, and say, hey, you're, you're, you're not going to, what? You're not going to be with, but, but this is what Christianity is, it's being with you. You see, for us, you become a Christian. What is becoming a Christian? Well, you become a Christian, uh, we meet here on Sundays, and midweek there's a Wednesday, okay? You meet on a Wednesday night. And that, now, that's nothing like that for Peter. Peter could say this, I've left everything to be with you. That's the deal. They called them Christians later. That's the nickname they got. What they were was followers of Jesus. People who lived with Jesus. People who lived with God. People had God in their lives. That's who they were. They could say, I've left everything to be with you. And you're what? You're going away? It says you chose 12 to what? To be with you? To be with you? You're going away? I mean, I imagine it. It must have been absolutely terrifying, disastrous. He's going away. Imagine him turning to the, Did you hear that? He's going. And then you get this wonderful verse in the next chapter. It says, I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Huh? I won't leave you orphans. I'll, you're coming. Oh, he's coming. It's okay. He's coming. Oh, Jesus. It's okay. He's coming. He's not going to leave us. He's... You must never do that again, Lord. You scared the life out of me. It's okay. Guys, it's okay. He's not leaving us orphans. He's coming. Wow. Wow. Scared me to death. See, I've never been through. I suddenly saw, hey, what did they, that's what they experienced, isn't it? You've been with God. You've been, the life was manifested. And he's off. He's going. I mean, what is this all about? Then you get this answer. It's okay, I won't leave you. I'll, I'll come to you. Now, I've said before, what, 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 you've read that verse like I have. I won't, I'll, be, I'll be with you a little longer. Yeah, it's never troubled me before. I suddenly think, wow, what was that like for Peter? And I've read this other verse too. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. What did that mean for Peter? And that will help us understand what it's meant to mean for us. Peter has lived with God in his life, introducing him into something absolutely awesome, breathtaking and wonderful. Better than a glory cloud. When God said, I'm not going to be in the glory cloud anymore, Moses says, if you're not going with us, we're not going anywhere. Peter's got the same thing. You're going away? It's okay, I'm coming back. It's coming back. But what does that verse mean? I'm coming back. What does it mean? It's interesting if you read the commentaries on what that verse means. I'm coming back. What does it, what does it mean? See, what is the church? Is the, is the church a group of people with a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here. Is that the church? The church, people are gathered together and say, oh, I remember when Jesus used to be around. 
Imagine, you mentioned they moved together. Do you remember when he said, oh, that was amazing. Don't forget that one. Right now, oh, yeah, he said that. Oh, I've got it. I think I've got it. Good, yeah. And do you remember when he, when he did that? Oh, boy, I'll never forget it. Write that one down too. Yeah, he did that. Oh, wow. Isn't it wonderful? When God used to be around. Is the church just a group of people with a kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here? But Jesus said, don't be scared. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, if you look at the commentaries, and I've got lots of commentaries on John's Gospel, they all say something like this. Westcott says it, classic old commentary. says, the fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection. And the promise was potentially completed at Pentecost and is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the phrase exhausts its meaning. Could be the resurrection, could be the day of Pentecost, could be the end of time. Now you'll find that in lots of commentaries. You'll find that in the study notes of the new NIV study Bible. Similar thing. What well, could be this, could be this, could be this. Beloved, when you're sitting in an office in 2014, you can say that. When you're Simon Peter, you can't say that. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. When he says, I'm coming again, if, does he, if he means just the resurrection, well, the resurrection is wonderful. Eh? It's absolutely wonderful. And in fact, it, it helps us to think about, if you think of Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb. She's one of these people. She traveled with the disciples. She cannot imagine living a day without being with Jesus. Let's get that in our heads. She can't imagine a day of living without Jesus. She's, she goes with the apostles. When they travel around, she goes along. She's always around. And then his taste, they've killed him. And it says she's going to the tomb and she's, going, and, and she's wondering how we're going to roll the stone away. And, and she's down there. And then you hear this kind of heart-rending cry when she says, he's not there. And there's this gardener guy. And she says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. Now, he knows, she knows he's dead. But even to be near the body, to be somehow near, just I can't live a day without being with him. Isn't that what her life was? That's why I read one jo- John 13, 33, and then John 14, 1, because John 14, 1 says, don't let your heart be troubled. We read that out of context. Oh, good verse. Don't let your heart be troubled. Stick that on the wall. That'd be a good diary verse. You know, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Good verse, Lord. No, it's a verse that's when they're saying, you're doing what? Don't let your heart be troubled. He's got to steady them now. This poor woman is saying, I'm going to have to live without Jesus. And then she said, then suddenly, Mary, Rabbi. And she goes to her. He said, no, don't cling to me. I'm going to be with you in a new kind of way. Don't cling to me. But I'm here. I'm back. Oh, resurrection is wonderful. But if I'm Simon Peter, he's only back for six weeks. Then, whoa, there he goes, there he goes. You said you wouldn't leave us as orphans. To me, it's not the resurrection. Though the resurrection is awesome and wonderful, of course. And some say, well, of course, it could be 
his coming in judgment, as Westcott says. It could be coming at the end of the age. Well, that's also great news, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to know Jesus is coming because people get scared. What's going to happen to the world? You know, what is happening in the world? The ozone layer, the whole climate thing. We're going up the creek. We're going to drown. What's going to happen to us? The world's falling apart. Or, you know, the Muslims are taking over. What's happening to the economy? Oh, what's going to happen to the world? Well, we know. Jesus is coming. It's great, isn't it? Jesus is coming. He's going to come with the clouds, with glory. We know the end of the story. And that's wonderful. So, so you can write that in the 21st century. He's coming again. Yes! For Simon Peter, Jesus says, Don't worry, Simon Peter. I'm coming back in about uh, 3,000 years. 3,000 years! <laughs> What's going to happen next week? That's what Peter's concerned about. What's going to happen next week? Now they say it could be any one of these three. William Hendrickson, who's a conservative commentator, reformed man actually, he says this, What Jesus means is my departure won't be like that of a father who leaves his children, whose children are left as orphans, when he dies, in the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. He's right, isn't he? That's got to be what Jesus meant. When the Spirit is poured out. You see, on the day of Pentecost, they're told, wait, wait, wait. And if you had time to read all of this passage, we find that in this whole passage, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus begins to talk. We read a bit of it, as we did just now. I'll send another one. And there are two different words for another in Greek. One is another different. One is another the same. It's similar, the same. It's like Jesus is the exact image of the Father. This is God coming. He's exactly like the Father. I will send you another. One who will be exactly like me. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's Christ with us in a new form. I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. On the day of Pentecost, they're waiting in the upper room, 120 of them praying and praying. Suddenly, there's a hurricane, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And fire falls on them and distributes And I can imagine Simon Peter saying, He's back! He's back! <laughs> See, that's got to be, he's back. Jesus is back. Beloved, the church still has the presence of Jesus. We are not a group of people with a fading memory of what it used to be like when Jesus was here. We are not in a worse place. Moses was in a worse place. He just had a a tent and a glory cloud. He said, I'm not going anywhere without it. We're we're unique in the world. We're not giving that up. Apart from that, we've just got the Ten Commandments. And it's the presence of God. I want you with us. He's not going without it. When Jesus came... The new covenant completely eclipsed the old covenant. This is far more wonderful. Far more wonderful. It's sometimes the moon 
you know, it fills the night sky. You think, wow, look at that. It's shining moon. And then the sun comes up in the morning. And you look at the sun. Well, you can't look at the sun. And you sometimes think, is that the moon up there? Yeah, it's the moon. But it's t- totally outshone. And that's what Paul uses that language in Corinthians. That we're, we're in this a much better covenant. It's a covenant that outshines the old covenant. And that isn't just for three years. It's not for three years God's around, and then he's gone. No, this is the age of the Spirit. This is the age of the presence of God in a phenomenal way, more than any time before. And that's to be our experience, beloved. He's back. He's back. He's amongst us. He manifests his glory. So what was it for Peter? Well, for Peter, he couldn't imagine a day without being with Jesus. Nor could Mary, nor could the others. Because being with Jesus is breathtaking. And it isn't. Oh, because we meet there on once a week, and we meet there once a week, and don't, don't forget to pray and read your Bible. It's being with Jesus. See, even Paul, who, as far as we know, never physically laid eyes on Jesus. He was saved afterwards. Yet he says this, summing up, he says, that I might know him. To be with him, to know him, to be around him, to to be with Jesus is everything. And and that's what we've been saved into, to be with God, to be with Christ. You say, well, do I have to read my Bible? If you said to Simon Peter, do you think Simon Peter would say, do I have to read my Bible? He'd say, I want to be with Jesus. I left everything to be with Jesus. Now, of course, we meet with Jesus as we're reading in the Word. But that's not some duty, some religious duty. That's an opportunity to let him speak to us and feel his nearness and hear his voice and, and communicate with him. And, and, and then when we're praying, oh, do you have to say your prayers? No, you talk to Jesus, you talk to God, you fellowship with God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and makes the whole thing real, both alone and even more phenomenally when we're together in the presence of God. He's with us. It's not a fading memory. In the church in Brighton, we used to have a very big personality guy, wonderful, wonderful guy. His name was Peter Brooks, came from Australia, had a big Australian personality, full of fun, full of personality, just a fabulous guy to have around. And then there came the day, which he'd always said would come, when he would go back to Australia. And I remember coming to my office, he just visited, and I could just, I thought, wow, here we go. And he said, God's called us, we're going. And, you know, all the big parties and the farewells. And, yeah, of course, great. He's doing a great job now in Australia. I remember, you know, we had this, the parties, the goodbyes. And then comes the next Sunday. I drive down to church. And I think, oh, is Pete's car here yet? Yeah. I think, oh, you fool, he's gone. And it's a bit of a fading memory of what it was like to have Pete in Brighton. Is that what the church is like? Kind of fading memory when Jesus used to be around. Or is it, no, no, we gather. We are here for you. We are here for you. What's your expectation? We Let this praise be your welcome. I'm not just singing songs. We're here for you. To you, our hearts are open. I expect you to be here. I expect your presence in my life. I expect your presence in my church. To me, it's hateful to go to a church where there's no presence. To me, it's hateful that we should ever 
marginalize the presence of God for the sake of evangelism. Hey, come on. It's the presence of God. We are here for you. We gather for him. We gather to meet with him. We gather to introduce him to people who don't yet know him. It's his presence that makes us unique. You don't abandon what makes you unique. It's he being with us. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Is that a good summary of your life? For me to live is just to know him, be around him. That's what it was like for Simon Peter. He's just a fisherman. He's not a theologian. These unlearned guys representing Jesus now. And then the, and you read the book of Acts. And, and you can imagine Herod saying, I thought we killed him. Pilate saying, I smashed him to death. What's this hearing? This, this guy, Stephen, is down here doing great signs and wonders. And Philip over here, he's doing great signs and wonders. What's going on here? Peter's down there. They're getting healed when his shadow goes. What is going on? I thought I destroyed him. He's breaking out everywhere. That is the book of Acts, isn't it? God is breaking out everywhere. God is breaking out everywhere. Phenomenal signs, wonders, manifestations. God is here. Beloved, that's the sort of church we want to build. We want to build churches whose anticipation is God will be here. We expect to meet him. We expect him to manifest his presence. We expect him to manifest his presence, yes, through the Holy Spirit. I'll send another helper. He'll be like me. He'll, he's on my behalf. He's the Spirit of Christ. That doesn't mean the fourth member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Spirit of Christ. That's just a name for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, whom the Father will send in my name, the Spirit of Christ. Christ is amongst us by his Spirit. He's with us. He indwells. He comes with power. He comes to fill. He comes to fill us individually. He comes to fill us corporately. He comes to manifest his presence. He comes wanting us to tune into his presence, be aware of his presence, to show himself. Let me ask you as I close here. Do you live your lives with Jesus? Do you look forward to meeting with him in the, the dawn of the day? I'm going to meet with Jesus. I want to fellowship with him. Yeah, in my workplace, in my home, in my family, in my street, with my extended family. Jesus is in our lives. Is he in your life? Or have we settled for something whew, way down here? Does it feel like you're living life with God? That's what happened. These guys lived with God. And then there came this terrifying word, I'm going, you're going away. It's okay, I'm coming back. Oh, gosh. He's back. He's back with us, beloved. And it should be our desire all the time to say, Lord, manifest your presence more and more and more. More and more. Come amongst us. Come fill us. Come flood us. Come and manifest your power. Tomorrow morning we'll talk about healing. It follows on from what I'm saying. We'll expect people to heal the sick tomorrow morning because Jesus is here. I think he's probably going to heal some people tonight because he's here. Jesus is among us and he gives his presence through gifts. And We've already heard from some this, 
uh, getting words of knowledge. God's going to heal some people here tonight. Because Jesus is among us. It's not a show someone puts on. It's his promise not to leave us as orphans, but to be with us. Let's stand to pray. Let's just draw near to him right now. Maybe if I can just close in with you, my brother, my sister. This, this is just his kind offer to you. I want to be in your life. I want to be in your home, in your kitchen. He loved being in Bethany, in the home of a couple of sisters and a brother. He just loved being there. He wants to be in your home. He wants to be in your family relationships. He wants to be with you. He wants to revolutionize the way you work like he did with Zacchaeus. He, Jesus, wants to be with you. He wants you to get to know him more and more. He's the outshining of God. He's the exact image of the Father comes to bless, to heal. Lord, we just come to you tonight. We thank you for the privilege of a conference where we can, for a few days, just put everything else aside and aim to be with you, to focus on you, to give you our attention, to learn more of you. And Lord, we we really don't want to settle for the church being a gathered people with a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was around. We know it's not what you planned. We know, Lord, we love your presence. We love the power of your presence. We love your ability to take us into the supernatural. Beloved, You know, when he said to Peter, you feed them. It's like, come into my world. Come into a world where I can make it work for you. I can make your business work. I can can make your home. I can care for you. I can provide. I I can supernaturally provide if you'll lean into me and trust me. Will you do that? So, no, I do my religion on Sunday mornings. I go to house group sometimes. Jesus wants to be in your life, in your kitchen, in your awareness. God's in this home. Why don't you come to him tonight and say, Lord, I want you in my life more than ever before. I want you in my life. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to just people to tell me what you did 2,000 years ago. I want to know you. Why don't you pray that tonight? Lord, come into my life. Help me to reckon on your presence. He's with us here.